Alright, welcome to episode 2 of the Maine Polls Podcast. Today we're going to go over some of the results from the November 3rd election in Maine. And in case you're not aware, how we do it in Maine is that not only are the House seats a two-year term, Senate seats are too, so every legislative seat goes up for re-election every two years. So when Janet Mills was elected a couple of years ago, the voters gave her a Democrat-controlled House and Senate. And in that first year, so 2019, she, along with the now former House Speaker Sarah Gideon, took full advantage of that, getting something like 90 different bills passed in the law. It might actually be more than that, but I've got at least that confirmed that I'm looking at here. Now, to be clear, Maine has not officially released the final tallies. So the numbers I'm using are the ones being reported by the Associated Press. And if I start referencing voter data from past elections, I'm either getting that information from ballotpedia.org, or it's being pulled from old Secretary of State election data. Alright, so going into the 2018 election, Maine's House had 73 Republicans, 70 Democrats, 7 Independents, and apparently a vacancy they had trouble filling for some reason. The 2018 elections gave the Democrats 19 House seats. So that 73-70 Republican majority split became an 89-57 Democrat majority split with five independents. Maine Senate saw a similar swing. Prior to the 2018 election, the Democrats held 17 seats and the Republicans held 18. So pretty evenly split like the House. But after the 2018 election, that control swung heavy toward Democrats. That 18-17 split for Republicans became a 21-14 split for the Democrats. And with the election of Janet Mills, our state became a one-party state rule. Okay, that's enough background. Now let's see how this most recent election has left things. Has control changed anywhere? As we head toward what I presume will be Janet's re-election campaign in 2022, will she have the same legislative rubber stamp she's had for the previous two years, for the next two years as well? Okay, so first off, we did see some changes, but nothing as dramatic as what unfolded in 2018. But there were some notable shifts. The main Senate picked up, it looks like, one seat. It was Senate District 2, which covers a massive swath of eastern Arista County, starting near Webster and Orient and stretching all the way up to Presque Isle. And this district had been held by Democrat Michael Carpenter since 2016, and it's looking like he's going to lose that seat to Republican Harold Stewart. The AP is showing Stewart winning by more than 2,500 votes. But like I said earlier, those results are yet to be confirmed by the Secretary of State's office. Now, while picking up that big piece of Aroostook County is nice for the Republicans, I think they're going to lose Senate Districts 13 and 34. District 13, which covers, it looks like, most, maybe all of Lincoln County, as well as the towns of Windsor and Washington, it looks like incumbent Republican Dana Dow is going to be defeated by Democratic challenger Chloe Maxim. It's a close one, though. The AP is showing some 24,600 people voted in that race, and the difference between the candidates is less than 600 votes. The other district, District 34, covers Wells, Acton, Kennebunk, Lebanon, North Berwick, Wells, and also a piece of Berwick. The Republican incumbent, Robert Foley, hit his term limit. They chose Michael Perdue to be his successor, and the Democrats ran Joseph Rafferty. And the way it's looking right now, that one might end up flipping Democrat, too. Right now, the AP is putting that one as 51% for Rafferty and 48% for Purdue. 
But like I said, both of those are really close, and the revolts have not been certified yet. Okay, now the way things are looking right now, it looks like the House will also remain in Democrat control too, but the Republicans definitely made some gains. They picked up nine seats. Six of those were held by incumbent Democrats up for re-election. Two of those seats they picked up were in open races that had previously been held by a Democrat that hit their term limit. And one of the seats they won was actually held by an incumbent independent. And these wins were spread across the state. District 7 and 10 covers most of Wells, all of Arundel, and Dayton, parts of Lyman. They both flipped Republican. Lewiston's largest district, District 58, along with District 64, so the one covering Minot and the northern half of Auburn, they both flipped Republican. So did District 82, so Wales, Litchfield, Monmouth, and a piece of Winthrop. This was the seat held by an independent. District 74, that one covers Jay, Livermore Falls, and part of Livermore. They'll have a Republican House member now as well. So a lot of Androscoggin County flipped. District 88, that's Whitefield, Jefferson, and most of Nobleboro, along with District 107, so nearly all of Skowhegan, also flipped Republican. And finally, District 143, so Medway, Millinocket, Patton, North Penobscot, they also went Republican. So not enough to make up what they lost in 2018, but I'd say it's still a pretty impressive swing. It wasn't just in one area of the state or within a couple counties. No, this showed a shift that tore right up through the center of the state, starting in York County and running all the way to northern Penobscot. If you count the Senate seat they won, that tear stretched the entire length of Maine. The other important aspect of this swing was that the Republicans didn't lose any seats. What they won was a complete gain. I should add to that, even though... Only eight of the nine seats won by Republicans were from Democrat-controlled seats. The Democrats still lost nine seats total because they lost District 29 to an independent. This district was basically coastal Scarborough, and it sits within the greater Portland metro. So the Dems still control both chambers of Maine's legislature. But this election should definitely be seen as a, if not an actual blow, then maybe a warning shot of things to come. The fact that not all of these were in the 2nd District is pretty significant, too. I mean, you had a handful of towns in York County flip, as well as a district that I believe is technically considered within the Portland metro, dump their Democrat incumbent. And then almost all of Androscoggin County flipped Republican, including districts in both Auburn and Lewiston. Definitely something to watch. And if you're a Republican, definitely something to smile about. It shows that what happened in 2018 may have been an anomaly and not the new norm. And before moving on, there are also two recounts currently underway for House Districts 96 and 98. These are both coastal districts. 96 covers Lincolnville, Searsmont, Belmont, Morrell, Montville, Liberty, and Palermo. District 98 is Searsport, Swansville, Frankfort, Winterport. In District 96, as of right now, the incumbent Democrat Stanley Ziegler is ahead of Katrina Smith by less than half a percentage point. The difference between the two is close enough to qualify for a free recount, and it looks like that's what Smith has requested. District 98 is also close. The AP projects Democrat incumbent Scott Cuddy to have 51% of the vote, while Republican challenger Jessica Connor is showing 49%. But Connor has officially requested a recount, but because the margin isn't as tight as District 96, Connor's campaign will have to pay for their recount. Another thing I wanted to touch on that became pretty clear as I was working through these districts is that 
There were a lot of uncontested seats. In the House, I counted a full 32 House seats that went unchallenged in this election. That works out to be about 21% of the House seats in this election going completely unchallenged. 22 of those seats, so 14.5% of all the House seats, were Democrat held with no challenger. Republicans held 10 unchallenged seats, so around 6.5% of Maine's House seats were uncontested Republican seats. And I initially thought I would find that the uncontested Democrat seats would be clustered toward the South, while the uncontested Republican seats would be clustered in the North. But that turned out to be wrong. They are split regionally, but it's not by North and South, it's by East and West. Uncontested Republican seats tend to be west of I-95. The most southern one I see is South Wyndham, and the most northern one I see is the district Mars Hill belongs to. Now nearly all of the 22 uncontested Democrat seats are east of I-95, the exceptions being a downtown Lewiston district and one of the Bangor districts, both of which are just barely across that I-95 line. The third outlier is Northern Wyndham, which is interesting if you recall that Southern Wyndham was an uncontested Republican seat. The remaining 19 are all along the coast, starting at the New Hampshire border. So York, then Kittery, Biddeford, then there are a dozen within the greater Portland metro area, and then a few more districts after that that include St. George, Thomaston, Blue Hill, Castine, Vinyl Haven, all the way to Southwest Harbor. Oh, and also in the Senate, every Republican held Senate seat saw a challenger in 2020. But there were two Democrat Senate seats that went unchallenged. Senate Districts 27 and 28, so the two districts covering the city of Portland. Alright, what's left? Okay, independence overall didn't do as well as they had in the past. In addition to losing a seat to a Republican, the only independent challenger that won was that one in Scarborough. But now, I'm looking at that district again, I just realized that that Scarborough district was actually a three-way race between an independent challenger, the incumbent Democrat, and a Republican challenger, and none of them got a majority, according to the Associated Press. The independent Sophia Warrant is projected to be at 38%, the Democrat incumbent Sean Benin is at 34%, and the Republican Annalie Rosenblatt got 28%. So this one is actually probably in the instant runoff stage since no one got a majority, but I still feel pretty good calling this for the independent Sophia Warren. I suspect that when they redistribute those Republican votes, most of them will end up going toward the independent over the Democrat. But other than that, despite a couple of really close races that as of right now don't look like enough to win, this independent in Scarborough is the only new independent in the legislature. Alright, I got another thing I'd like to touch on. I won't go as far as to say it's an anomaly in the sense that word is being used in other states right now, but I did pitch something peculiar and it happened in House District 37. So a little background on House District 37. It's in Portland, but not in the downtown area. It's one of the residential neighborhoods. If you know Portland, it's basically outer Washington Ave around the Westgate Shopping Plaza up to the South Portland line. That area. So this seat had been held by Democrat Richard Farnsworth. Farnsworth had held the seat since 2014 when he ran unopposed in an open race. The Republicans did hold a primary for the 2016 election, but for some reason they never actually made it on the ballot. And that in of itself is unusual. That happened a few other times too within that list of unchallenged incumbents. 
Some of them did have Republicans run in a primary, but they didn't make the ballot for the general election for some reason. Maybe not enough signatures, or not enough backing from the party, who knows. So he ran out of polls in 2016. And then in 2018, Ben Pollard, an independent, ran against Farnsworth. But that didn't seem to matter too much, since Farnsworth won a crushing 70% of the votes cast. So it's 2020, and Mr. Farnsworth has hit his term limit. And the Republicans decide to try and go for it. And they put up Jane Frey. The Democrats picked Grayson Luckner as Farnsworth's replacement. And that election ended with Luckner getting 91% of the vote, and Frey getting 8.5% of the vote, with the rest divided up between a couple other candidates and a write-in. So yes, this is Portland, but damn, no other main Senate or House race came close to that. There were a few that got into the lower 70s, but nothing like this. You get over 90% in some foreign countries, and red flags start going off. The other thing that is peculiar was that there were actually less voters in 2020 in District 37 than there were in 2018, which sort of flies in the face of the idea that people are more likely to come out for the presidential than the midterms. 4,725 voters cast ballots in 2018 in District 37. Only 3,875 did it in 2020. Alright, I suppose we should take a look at where Maine's federal elections stand. None of these results have been verified by the Secretary of State's office yet, so we'll use it with the AP is projected. So right now, the AP is projecting Biden getting 430,023 total votes in Maine, and Trump getting 359,502 votes. So it looks like Biden will be getting the two electoral votes tied to the statewide popular vote, and the vote tied to the popular vote for the first congressional district, again, pretty much set to go to Biden. And what is probably no surprise to anyone driving around in the 2nd District, their one electoral vote looks like it'll be going to Trump. So three for Biden and one for Trump. Place Biden with Clinton and it's exactly what happened in 2016. Probably the biggest surprise of the night was Susan Collins pulling off a win over Sarah Gideon. As it stands right now, Collins is projected to finish with 414,970. Sarah ends up with 359,502. The two independents that ran, Lisa Savage and Max Lynn, they each ended up with 40,191 and 13,545 votes, respectively. With this one, I was pretty surprised they didn't go to IRV. They had four candidates. Earlier on, it seemed like Savage might pick up enough steam to at least push it to an IRV, but that didn't happen. I suspect what did happen is that because Savage turned out to be politically left of Gideon, she was only going to really ever pull votes away from Gideon, but not necessarily from Collins. She split Gideon's vote. Had this gone into a runoff, Sarah would have won when Savage's votes were redistributed. A lesson to pick up from this one too would be that, for independents to do well, or at least to do well in Maine, they need to fall politically in between the Republican and Democrat candidates. They need to be able to siphon votes off both left and right to make it work. My guess would be that is how the new Scarborough Independent pulled it off. They ran in between the Republican and Democrat candidates and siphoned votes from both sides. What should have come as no surprise to anyone was the 1st District's incumbent Shelley Pingree beating out Republican Jay Allen. Pingree got about 263,000 votes and Allen pulled in 164,000 votes. So it was a 61.5-38.5 split to Pingree. In the 2nd District, incumbent Jared Golden also kept his seat. 
but not with nearly as much as the lead as Angry God. Golden ended up with about 195,000 votes to Kraft's 174,000. Works out to be about a 53% to 47 split for Golden. That, I think, came as a surprise to a lot of folks. The Kraft's did as well as he did. But remember all those House districts that flipped Republican? Most of those are in the second district. Okay, so I want to take a closer look at some of those numbers, and we'll wrap this up for today. Trump is projected to get 357,000 votes. Collins got 412,000. What this suggests is that about 55,000 voters voted for Collins, but not Trump. And if you combine the votes for Crafts and Allen, so the candidates from each congressional district, you get 336,000. So 21,000 people cast a vote for Trump, but didn't vote for the Republican House candidate. Also, 76,000 voted for Collins, but then either voted for the Democrat Congressional House candidate, so either Pingree or Golden, or they left that one blank. And data on write-ins and rejected ballots hasn't been released yet. On the other side, Gideon got 341,000 votes, while Biden got 428,000 votes. So 87,000 people voted Biden, but didn't vote Gideon. And if you combine the votes for Golden and Pingree, so the Democrat candidates from each congressional district, you get 455,000 votes. So 27,500 people voted for a Democrat U.S. House candidate, but not Biden. Additionally, 114,000 voted for a Democrat U.S. candidate, but didn't vote for Gideon. It's probably also worth noting, too, that if you combine the votes for Trump, Jorgensen, and the other two candidates, you get 383,000. So still not enough to beat Biden's statewide popular vote and still less than what Collins got or what Pingree and Golden combined got. Now, keeping in mind how many House seats flipped and the razor-thin margins and others, that Collins won more easily than predicted and Kraft's almost beating Golden, it suggests that people really came out to support Republicans, especially in the 2nd District. It's surprising to me that, despite some pretty strong support down ticket, for some reason that didn't translate into Trump support. In fact, looking at Maine's popular vote for Biden, it seems to suggest that, according to the AP projections, a bulk of that Republican boost ended up voting for Biden. What complicates this further is that, if we're going by what the AP is reporting, the number of people in Maine that cast ballots for president, regardless of candidate, is around 813,000 total votes. The number of votes cast in Maine's U.S. Senate race, 811,000 votes. So about 2,000 people voted for president, then decided to not cast any vote for the Senate. Which is possible, even though there were four candidates to choose from, maybe 2,000 people just left it blank. Possible. Now, if we add up the total votes cast in both congressional house races, regardless of which candidate they pick, the number is 796,000 total votes cast. Which means that 17,000 people cast a vote for the president, but didn't vote for a U.S. House candidate. That seems a little strange to me, but remember that these are technically just AP projections. When the final tallies are released from the Secretary of State's office, maybe these final numbers will end up being a little closer together. Alright, I guess that's enough for today. Now that I've got my head wrapped around this a little better, I'm going to dig a little deeper into this as more data becomes available. I'd be curious to see how each county broke down for president, and really all the federal races. Collins beat all expectations. I'm curious if this is because she picked up unexpected support in the 1st District, 
Or did the second district come out big in enough numbers? And then the race between Golden and Crafts. I mean, Golden came real close to being a one-term representative. I'd be curious to see which town slipped on him, or better yet, which state house and state senate districts flipped on him. And do they align with the state house districts that flipped Republican? I'm not even sure if that level of data is available for the federal elections, but we'll see. The other angle I'll probably look at is, where did all these new voters come from? In 2016, there were about 772,000 votes cast for president. That includes the third-party candidates. In 2020, that number is over 813,000. We had over 41,000 more voters in 2020 than 2016. I'd be curious to see where those new voters came from. Were they focused out of a couple of counties, or were they more scattered across the state? Following that same vein, Trump got 335,593 votes in 2016, and in 2020, he's projected to get 359,502. So he picked up almost 24,000 more votes this time. My guess is that that new support came from those state house districts that flipped. Clinton in 2016 got 357,735. Now in 2020, Biden is projected to get 430,023 votes. So he's projected to get more than 72,000 more votes than Clinton got. That's significant. In fact, he actually got more votes in Maine than Obama did in 2008. And unlike Obama, he's projected to do it without winning the popular vote in the 2nd District. That is really impressive. Where did all these Biden supporters come from? They picked up over 72,000 votes compared to Clinton. Projected to get over 430,000 votes in Maine overall. More votes than any candidate in Maine's history. I'm curious what part of the state this massive growth and support for a Democratic candidate came from. Was it just in heavily Democratic districts? How did Biden get so many more votes than Trump, and yet the Democrats still lost state House seats? Did people really vote Biden and then vote Republican down ticket? How else could have Collins pulled off the victory? Those are some of the angles I'll probably be following next. Maybe I'll have something for the next show, but we'll see. It'll depend how soon some of this certified data becomes available, really. Normally it'd be out by now. So yeah, we'll probably come back to this again in a future episode. I've got a couple of other episodes that are near done, so one of those may end up being next. So if you enjoyed what you've heard here, if you feel like you learned something, you can find more at themainpolls.com. I'm hoping to have a Facebook page up at some point soon so folks can connect with us there too. Alright then, that's it. Thanks for listening.